Welcome to First Reading, the Old Testament Lectionary podcast dedicated to supporting insightful interpretations and inspired preaching from the Hebrew Bible. I'm Rosie Canathal, a PhD candidate in Hebrew Bible at Emory University. And I'm Reverend Dr. Rachel Wren, ordained Lutheran pastor and assistant professor of biblical studies at Trinity Lutheran Seminary. Our esteemed co-host, Tim McNinch, is off this week. The first reading for April 10th is Isaiah 50, verses 4 through 9a. So Rosie's going to walk us through it. So where should we start? Yeah, perhaps we should first start by acknowledging that this week's reading falls on Palm Sunday. Yeah. Uh, Yeah, so we've got a lot of scripture to read aloud this week for our congregations. We're in year C, so we're looking at Luke's rather long account of the Passion. (laughs) Even the shortened option includes nearly 50 verses. So... Uh, It's probably understandable. Some churches might opt out of the first reading entirely uh, in light of the focus on Luke's passion narrative and, you know, this moment of the liturgical year, which calls for preparation for a Holy Week. Yeah, absolutely. So this maybe this episode is for folks who are looking for something a little different to do. So what are what are some ways we might invite our listeners to kind of read and consider the first reading of Isaiah? What does this add anything to the Holy Week that you could see? Yeah, I see. I'm glad you put it that way, because I think there are ways that this first reading from Isaiah helps acknowledge the ways that Christian tradition and imagination develop and depend on earlier Jewish theology, tradition and imagination. Mm-hmm. So I think that's a valuable point here. So the first reading from Isaiah is the third of the four so-called servant songs in Isaiah, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so these four servant songs in Isaiah have an important life within Jewish interpretation, especially in its consideration of Israel's mission to the nations. But they've also had an enormous influence on Christian tradition. Yeah. So Since the first century, uh, the servant songs have been interpreted as referring to Christ. That's probably why our our lectionary authors have placed this reading with uh, the Luke reading. Mm -hmm. Um, So in particular here, the suffering that Jesus endured during and throughout his ministry and death Mm -hmm. uh, is where the servant songs have been interpreted as referring to Christ. The third servant song, Isaiah chapter 50, verses 4 through 9, our first reading has been particularly significant to Christian interpreters, um, especially verse 6 of Isaiah 50. So this one you might want to pay attention to. Mm-hmm. The verse reads, I gave my back to those who struck me and my cheeks to those who pulled out my beard. I did not hide my face from insult and spitting. Mm. So the Luke account of the Passion narrative that will be read on Palm Sunday this year as well as the accounts in Matthew and Mark, all include the tormenting of Jesus, mocking, insulting, spitting, and hitting, right? Mm. Many uh, scholars think that that language in the Gospels derives from this song in Isaiah 50. So, uh, in fact, later Christianity imagined that Jesus's beard was pulled from his face, mostly because that's what's described in Isaiah 50, Mm. although none of the Gospel readers note that detail about Jesus's beard. Yeah, it gets imagined and inserted into the retold stories of Jesus's passion. So that offers some clues as to just how much this these Isaiah passages on the servant songs influenced Christian mm. tradition. That's really nice. I think that you, it seems like what you're suggesting is that including the Isaiah reading this week kind of helps um, remind our congregations of that really intimate relationship with and dependence on Jewish imagination and prophecy, which is a nice corrective in Holy Week when often the Jews are sort of like demonized. 
Right. I mean, thankfully, we're not so much seeing that in Luke, but it's there, right? Yeah. And so by seeing the servant song in conversation, in dialogue, yeah. in influence, in family relationships, yeah. it, you know, that might be an important thing actually to kind of offer our congregations, even for preachers that are looking for um, a way to develop that connection, that yeah. it, the suffering song. It's a short one too, right? Mm-hmm. Um, it's only five verses, uh, but it captures the quality of steadfast endurance in the suffering servant, which is a, a quality that we reflect on quite a bit in the life of Jesus during Holy Week, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and then reading the Isaiah passage, that short five verses alongside the Luke and Passion uh, account also opens up that aspect of, of suffering endurance. Yeah. And that endurance in the face of public humiliation as a prophetic attribute really comes from a longer Jewish yeah, tradition. Right. right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Throughout the Hebrew Bible, we see that the prophet does not get to shirk the burden of God's mission, even when they try, right? <laughs> Jonah. Uh, right. Jonah. <laughs> we know you, right? Yeah, we, we see, see you. you. <laughs> <laughs> even when the prophet knows he or she will encounter rejection or resistance, uh-huh. they're not able to escape their mission, right? Um, and this was one of the lenses that early Christian and some Jewish interpreters used to view and evaluate the life and humiliating death of Jesus, Mm. not as a curse, but as part of a larger prophetic tradition. Mm. Jesus's life could then be seen through this lens as a call to bear suffering with a redemptive purpose and for the salvation of a greater community. Of course, this song within the Jewish frame helped Israel understand and bear its own exile and humiliations. But Isaiah 50 verses four through nine also contributes to how Christians might see Jesus within a larger Jewish frame. Mm. I have this feeling, since you wrote this episode, Rosie, and since you are a lawyer by trade, that there's some legal aspect that could be brought up with this text. Am I right here? There is, and I'm so glad you brought that up, Rachel. (laughs) My little wheelhouse, right? (laughs) The end of the song here brings the suffering servant into an imagined court of law. Uh, And that, you know, that is also here part of the the passion accounts where the the law court becomes this space uh, of dialogue between the community, the accusations, the fear, the isolation, the marginalization of that experience, right? So yeah, my legal experience comes into play as I imagine this. In Isaiah 50 verses eight through nine, the suffering servant says, my vindicator is close. Who's going to contend with me? Let's confront each other. Mm -hmm. Who's going to be my accuser in court, my adversaries? Let them approach me. So here is the suffering servant imagining that his accusers are not outsiders, but are people from within his own community. Mm. Uh, Incredibly painful and poignant, right? The passion narratives revolve around courtroom scenes in which Jesus is accused by members of his own community and then ultimately convicted by Roman authorities. That that underlying lyric of faith under all of the false accusations is that of Isaiah 50 verse 9. It's the Lord who helps me. Who's going to declare me guilty? Mm. Ultimately, anyone that accuses the suffering servant will be found wrong in a court of law. It makes me think of Romans 8. If God is for us, who will be against us? You know, Right. And you, you wonder if those refrains are kind of, you know, like speaking across testaments that way. Yeah. Yeah. I'd never thought of Paul speaking with Isaiah's voice, but, you know, if God is for us, who can be against us? Like, it's right here. <laughs> like, this is the, this is the origin of it. 
But it reminds me too of so many of our characters have endured these experiences of being accused and in yeah. courtrooms defending themselves, right? Mm-hmm. So, I mean, there it's a really maybe just interesting connection too to see that these texts are connected by by that forum yeah. of like legal discourse too. Yeah, it's all um, over the Psalms too. So yes, yeah, right. mm-hmm. cool. Okay, so so any like preaching angles you would offer or specific pitfalls? Right. So if you're preaching on Palm Sunday, right, yeah. which, um, yeah, there's, there's, there's certainly plenty here um, in all the readings. But one angle that I have been thinking about is the desire in, um, in myself and in our culture to run from mm. suffering, um, to avoid painful things, to, uh, to do anything but have that hard conversation. Mm. Um, we live in a comfortable culture, you know, a culture that kind of holds up that state of comfort as something to both aim for and protect. Yeah. And while there's nothing inherently wrong with being comfortable, I, I wonder if I need on some level to be willing to be uncomfortable, to be mm. inconvenienced or discomfited as I go into Holy Week. Huh. Um, now, I don't like to dwell in suffering, as I'm sure most of our listeners don't either, or invite humiliation or pain into my life. Uh, but there's a question to be asked, I think, for myself. What are the things that I'd be willing to suffer for? Yeah. Um, yeah. What are the things I'd be willing to protest and endure public humiliation for? Like, what are my values? I, I think that's fantastic. This idea of how do you, what are your values? Can you name those values? And then how are those values reflected in how you live your life? And even more this idea of like being willing to go into Holy Week uncomfortable. I love that. And not just because I'm a four on the Enneagram. Like, I think that's a great, <laughs> great point. Uh, h- how about pitfalls? Yeah. So the one that I keep thinking about is I'm wary of a message of enduring suffering for a community's sake, which mm. is, you know, basically the kind of underlying lyric underneath the suffering servant is that um, suffering is redemptive, you know, mm. and suffering can be can be had by one person on behalf of a larger whole. So I think there are a lot of women and people of color who are yes. culturally shaped to suffer for others. So yes. I'm just wary in Christian communities where that's maybe a underlying problem uh, that mm. that maybe take advantage of folks that suffer quietly to just be careful of that. So just a gentle warning in a week where we'll be hearing a lot about Jesus' suffering and uh, redemption and salvation through suffering to be mindful of those folks that are, you know, feeling it um, in a particular way, maybe this year. Yeah. Um, yeah. So anyway, that's just the pitfall that I was just thinking about, too. Anything you want to add? No, I just I would just co-sign to that. I think that's a fantastic. We we um we like to you know we meaning like white people or people who benefit from the the patriarchal structures of American society. We like to uh, talk about how redemptive suffering is, especially if it's other people who are doing the suffering. So um, Raquel St. Clair Letsom has this fantastic book called Call and Consequences, and she looks at the um, the theme of suffering in the Book of Mark. And she talks about, she's just got this great point. She talks about how suffering is inevitable in following Jesus, but it is not necessary. And I thought that was so Mm -hmm. good. Like suffering is an inevitable part of speaking truth to people who don't want to hear it, of living a life of love um, when people speak a language of domination instead, but it doesn't mean it's a necessary part of it. It's just an inevitable part of it. So I thought that was a really good, helpful distinction there. That's really good. She's brilliant. 
<laughs> awesome. Folks, I think this would be a fantastic Palm Sunday um, sermon or even like, I mean, Holy Thursday, Good Friday too. Like you could take this and you could really run with it. But we will stop for now because y'all are busy and you got lots of things to do. Remember, all of our episodes are at firstreadingpodcast.com and posted on our Facebook page. We are so very grateful to those of you who sustain First Reading with your donations. And you can find the button to do that on our website. Of course, if giving financially isn't in the cards, don't worry about it. We're just really happy to have you listening and getting something from this resource. Thank you, as always, to Trinity Lutheran Seminary at Capital University for their grant and support of First Reading. And thanks all of you for listening. Until next time, I'm Tim McNinch. (laughs) (laughs) Almost. (laughs) Until next time, I'm Rachel Wren. And I'm Rosie Canethel. Have a great week. (laughs) That's what I always try to do to Tim. I always try to put something in there like I'm a goober To trip him up. Yeah, I'm a goober head or something. (laughs) 